And for me, the most natural thing was real estate because I had a bunch of friends that were involved in some way or another. So it was an easy kind of way for me to, to get involved. I started, you know, in the commercial mortgage space first, just learning the ins and outs of commercial real estate. Welcome to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, bringing you information directly from industry leaders in multifamily and commercial real estate. Each week, Anthony Pinto interviews top multifamily experts and digs into the hard lessons learned on their pathways to success. We get real to give you a more holistic picture and help you avoid pitfalls others won't tell you about. He will teach you about raising money, growing your portfolio, and attracting investors to your cause. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. Are you in the military, interested, but don't know how to get started in real estate investing? I get it. I was in the exact same boat. But I have good news for you. We have content made just for you. If you head over to our website at pintocapitalinvestments.com, you can hear about how I made the decision to start buying investment properties literally hundreds of feet underwater on a submarine. That's pintocapitalinvestments.com. What you're here for the show, so let's get into it. Welcome, learners, to another episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and today we have a real estate celebrity, true real estate celebrity, and a brilliant marketer, Yona Weiss. Yona, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's kind of funny to be called a celebrity, but, you know, I guess in the little circles that we run in, that's, that's how I am. So I appreciate you having me, Anthony, and uh, I hope to, this is going to be valuable for your audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think... The reason I say that is because I see you all over the place, you know, at conferences, on LinkedIn, on, I mean, you, you name it social media wise or circles involved with real estate and your name is plastered all over it. So I just, I love, I love that. And I'm happy to have you on board here and, and talk about really what you're an expert in, which is the tax side um, of real estate. So um, you right. kind of want to talk about what your background is in, in regards to real estate, who you are as a person. Let's just jump right into it. Tell me about yourself, Yona. I'm a father of six beautiful children. Wow. Um, married for 17 years now. And really, you know, I love, love life and love the opportunity to, you know, interact with people like you. And, you know, you say the social media and the conferences and all that. You know, I really love it because it allows me to really help other people and add value to so many people in different ways. And really, that's why I love cost segregation so much. So a little background on how I got even started in real estate is about five years ago, I was a teacher um, for about 15 years, a student and teacher I studied for many, many years. And, you know, at a certain point, you realize you need to start building some wealth, building some, you know, income, some getting out of student debt, etc. Mm -hmm. that a lot of people deal with. And for me, the most natural thing was real estate, because I had a bunch of friends that were involved in some way or another. So it was an easy kind of way for me to, to get involved. I started you know, in the commercial mortgage space first, just learning the ins and outs of commercial real estate. And um, kind of one thing led to the other over the course of a few years. And I ended up doing a few fix and flips with a friend, with a partner, and it didn't really work out so well. Maybe that we might get to that a little later at the end. But uh, we, you know, I, I started working for this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate Services, which is one of the largest commercial real estate servicing companies in the country, title insurance, 1031s, we do cost segregation, due diligence, a bunch of different services. And, you know, have a very good name in the industry, amazing people. And I just soaked up everything. I'm a student of life and I really learn very quickly. 
So I was able to sit with the accountants, the CEOs who've been doing this for decades and really take everything in about cost segregation in a way that I was able to go and, and then teach it. And it's funny because I'm not a tax expert. I don't have a, uh, you know, a tax license, but our company has been around and doing this for decades and they're the real experts. So I put my name as the expert because I have, you know, the unbelievable ability to, to learn very quickly. And I have those resources behind me that have taught me and I have the background in teaching, which makes it so much easier that I can now give this over in a very simplified way. Things that are seemingly very complicated. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. You know, I, when you listen to videos that you've done, other podcast interviews, um, you know, hear you talk at conferences, you, you seem very much like the expert. So I didn't fully, I didn't fully know that you weren't a tax professional. I, I just thought you were the guy that was cost segregation. Like you were the cost segregation guy and you right. knew everything. And I'm not saying that you don't necessarily know everything about it, but that's interesting that you're, you don't consider yourself to be the tax guy. Cause that, that is, you know, when you hear the name, Yona Weiss in real estate <laughs> circles, that's immediately what you think of. So that's interesting I, to me that that's how you, you know, kind of perceive yourself. Um, and, and I see it just talking with you and hearing you talk like the passion you have for teaching and the passion you have for real estate and helping people. And, it, and it's so apparent. And, and I love that. And I, and I love hearing that in your voice and, and, and I think a lot of people really kind of, at least who I've talked to about real estate, um, kind of discredit that, that factor with talking with people is the passion, right? And that's why I love, I love talking to people, not only on podcasts, but in general about real estate, because that's where you can show your passion. You're one-on-one, like this type of interview, or right. one-on-one drinking a beer, um, you know, sitting at a bar and you're just talking and you can see the passion that people have, right? And you can hear about their dreams in there and what they're interested in, right? And and I don't know, that's just kind of stream of consciousness there that's got me thinking about that. But so so sure. let's kind of delve into what you what your business is about, right? Because I, I know we have a limited amount of time, so I want to get into this. So you talked sure. about cost segregation analysis. So for our learners out there that you know may not have that background and know what a cost segregation analysis is, can you talk to us about what a what that is and kind of walk us through the process? Let's say that you know I'm a, a new apartment building owner and I don't know anything about cost segregation analysis. Can you mm -hmm. talk to me about how that process goes? Sure. So one of the greatest gifts so to speak, a gift that IRS gave to real estate investors is our, and one of the greatest things that comes along with real estate investing in general is the tax benefit, mm -hmm. right? And the main, main tax benefit is something called depreciation. Okay. So cost segregation is really just a more advanced form of depreciation. And we'll break it down how that actually works. But first I have to understand what depreciation is and why that's so beneficial and then how you can maximize that depreciation by doing a cost segregation study and why that's so beneficial. Um, so depreciation is that the IRS allows you, once you know your new apartment owner has bought a property, you're allowed to literally take the write-off of that, you're allowed to take the value of that building and write the entire value of that building off. Mm -hmm. Okay, a tax write-off, meaning you can deduct that from your income taxes right away except it can't be done all in one year. It needs to be spread out over 27 and a half years. So if you buy a commercial building or an apartment building for a million dollars, that's great. Now your basis, the amount that you can now write off 
starts over the day you buy it. So meaning even if it was built in, you know, 1917 and seemingly there's no more value left in it, the depreciation doesn't even have to do with that because even like it's a hypothetical uh, deduction, meaning the IRS said, hey, we understand that things go down in value as time goes on. Okay, that's the concept of depreciation. However, we're going to allow you to write off the value of this building as time goes on, as if it was built or as if it's brand new the day that you buy it, based on the purchase price that you spent to buy it, which is crazy if you think about it. You buy a building for $10 million and it's, you know, it's really only worth $1 million, okay? But you spent $10 million, now you can write off the $10 million, especially if you finance that property, you didn't even put in $10 million. Okay. You put in the bank's money or owner, you know, seller finance, you put in this, you didn't put any down. Nevertheless, you get that title. You're allowed to now write off that value over 27 years. So that's called depreciation. Okay. There's now cost segregation comes in and says, wait a second, not everything in the building actually depreciates or goes down in value hypothetically. Okay. <laughs> at the same rate or at the same pace. So what we do Okay, cost segregation study is that we have engineers that are trained in the tax code to know, you know, construction engineers that actually know and come into the building and say stuff that depreciates on a five-year schedule, that's stuff like personal property, you know, anything in the building that's not part of the structural components. So furniture, fixtures, cabinets, carpeting, you know, window treatments, all types of special purpose, electric wiring, all kinds of stuff like that. All that stuff actually when assessed and evaluated, you come up with the value of all that stuff. Now you can take that value, that's that cost, so to speak, is segregated. Okay, now the name, that's mm -hmm. where it comes from. We're now going to depreciate the components of the building at different rates. Okay, so that's essentially what cost segregation does. And if you think about it, it allows you to take a very large percentage of the building and accelerate the depreciation, meaning front load that into an excuse me, into a faster depreciation uh, life, meaning get more tax deductions in the early years of ownership. Interesting. Okay. So a few questions I want to kind of dig clear? into. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, you know, you're good. A few questions I want to dig <laughs> into. So uh, this probably depends a lot on the company that you go with, but uh, for someone kind of doing their research on is a cost segregation analysis, what is it worth it to me? Like what are the typical costs associated with doing a cost segregation analysis? Um, that I guess that you can expect across the country. Maybe maybe that's too broad of a, of a question. No, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, so there are actually, usually, and I say usually because there are some people that do this otherwise, but usually the fees that are going to come along with this is just going to be like a third party servicing fee. Okay. Like an appraisal, something like that. You're getting an appraisal. You're getting a conservation engineer study to come into the property. It's a fixed flat fee. Uh, based on the scope of work, usually based on the square footage, the amount of units that are, and is usually pretty nominal based, you know, compared to what the potential tax savings would be. Okay. I'm going to put in here because I did mention that there are people do it otherwise that would actually take a contingency fee, mm -hmm. meaning a percentage of your tax savings, which in the eyes of the IRS is actually a no, no, it's a bad boy policy. Cause you're now telling the IRS how many tax deductions you can get based on the fact that I'm going to be compensated for that. It's, it's no longer a third, uh, third party. 
So, you know, typically for a commercial building and apartment building, it's going to be somewhere in the range, you know, and there are company, every company's fee structure is different. But for us, Madison Specs, we're the biggest conservation firm in the U.S., uh, working in all 50 states. So I can speak for us, and I know we're pretty comparable, somewhere between, I'd say, four and $6,000 usually, um, you know, as of now, 2020 pricing, right? <laughs> we don't know what's going to be in the future. But somewhere in that range, these are going to be for a commercial property. The bigger the property gets, maybe the more it's going to cost, you know, have a large million square foot, you know, office building, it's going to be, you know, probably two, three, four times that amount just because the scope of work that's involved. Uh, but again, not based on the, the actual tax savings. That being said, it's not necessarily going to be worthwhile for any type of property. If you own a single family that you bought for, you know, $170,000, it's probably not going to be worthwhile to pay a few thousand dollars to get a study done when your, your after-tax benefit in that is only going to be a few thousand dollars maybe in the first year. So you're going to have to see what that cost benefit is. And we always run a free estimate for any property. So you can see that up front. You know, you can see what are my potential tax savings, et cetera. And my rule of thumb is usually anything over a million dollar purchase is a no brainer. There's so much. It's like 10x, you know, 50x even sometimes the amount you're spending versus the amount of tax benefit you have. Um, so yeah. Interesting. Okay. So it brings me up some follow-up questions here. So I mean, you kind of, like I said, you, you answered my question, can anyone do a cost segregation analysis and what type of property? So, um, so let's kind of dive back into the depreciation side of that. So sure. let's say that I am a passive investor on a syndication, right? And we get, uh, we buy a, a million dollar property, right? And we get, let's say 30% of that back. So I'm potentially looking at $30,000 in depreciation that can apply, right? To, to, to me, I can use, right? So can, who, who can take that depreciation? Are there any restrictions on how much you can take? Um, does it behoove you to be like any type of individual? Um, like mm -hmm. would me as a normal person who's sitting here in the Navy be able to take, you know, millions of dollars in depreciation a year? How does that kind of break down within the tax code? Sure. So you, you hit on a lot of points over here. So I'm going to try to break it down. Sure. Um, yeah, let's say we're talking about passive investors. You know, if you are a W-2 worker versus if you're what's called a real estate professional, we're going to touch on those things, which are actually, you know, tax terminology. So when you're investing in an investment, usually, and I say usually because there are different structures that might be made within the actual, you know, operating agreement within the structure of the partnership. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes it's done through an LLC, you're buying shares into, you know, that LLC that's buying a property. Okay, usually based on the amount that you put in as an investor, you have a percentage of ownership of the property. With that percentage of ownership, you also usually get a percentage of cash flow, of income, okay, from that property. Now, again, there are so many different structures that you could do, but I'm just talking about a typical structure. Let's say you put in, you know, a million dollar property, and let's keep it simple. You put in $100,000 into that property and you get 10% ownership of the property. Okay. So you get 10% of the income. It produces a hundred thousand dollars. You get thousand uh, dollars of that income because you have a 10% ownership in the first year. Now with that $10,000 of income, you also get 10% of the depreciation since you are 10% ownership. And I'm simplifying this again, but this is usually how it works. Mm -hmm. So if your property, right? 
on a straight line depreciation, meaning regular depreciation, you would not have done cost segregation. You're just doing a straight line, which means you get to take the purchase price, million dollars, subtract a certain amount for land because land does not depreciate, okay? That's the first thing you need to do. Let's say 15%. It's a pretty typical price. $850,000 is going to be your basis. That's the amount that can be depreciated. Again, depreciation is over 27 and a half years. For commercial properties, it's 39 years, but multifamily is still considered residential and gets a 27 and a half year life. That means take 850,000 divided by 27 and a half, you're left with approximately $30,000. Okay, I'm rounding. So your first year depreciation is going to be $30,000. Okay, your income was 100,000, depreciation is $30,000. Your income as an individual was 10%, $10,000, you're getting 10% of depreciation, 3,000. That means you're knocking off $3,000 of tax liability and you're only going to be taxed on $7,000. That's how depreciation works. In a cost segregation world, you're gonna take you know, twice as much or three or four times as much depreciation in that first year by reallocating personal property, okay? Getting, let's say, 20% of that personal property, you can take you know, all of that in the first year, or you can spread it out over five years. If you take it all in the first year, that looks like 20% of $850,000, again, is around $170,000, okay? $170,000 of depreciation, deductions, and only $100,000 of income. Hmm. That means everyone gets the $10,000, you get $17,000 of tax deductions. Now, what does that do? Okay, that means first of all, the 10,000 you get, you keep in your pocket, zero to the IRS, no tax liability whatsoever. Okay, the rest, other $7,000 goes into what's called a passive loss. Okay, it's a negative balance on your, on your tax return, which gets carried forward to the next year. Okay, so next year you get another $10,000 plus the seven from the previous year. Okay, then you can detract that etc. It carries forward with you until you sell the property. So that's in a basic, um, you know, nutshell, how returns and how depreciation can work and how cost segregation can actually amplify that. Uh, but you touched on something else. What if you are just, what I described is someone who is a W-2 employee, someone who has a regular job, right? Regular in the, you're in the Navy, right? Like a regular guy, right? And you are, have a W-2 job you cannot use that depreciation to offset your other income unless you have less than $100,000 of adjusted gross income for the year. Then you can have a certain amount up to $25,000 actually from the extra depreciation to offset your income as well. Mm -hmm. However, if you're above that threshold, the only way you can <clears throat> excuse me, benefit from the extra depreciation is one of two ways. Number one, if you have other properties or other passive income that's coming from properties, it can spread around. That depreciation from one property can now be used to offset the income from another property. Okay. The other way is, which is even better, is so if you're called a real estate professional. Now, getting this status is like, you know, it's like winning the lottery, basically. What, <laughs> what this allows you to do is if you have this status, either you or your spouse, okay? So only one of you needs to actually have this status, okay? You can now use depreciation deductions to offset all of your income, any of your income from any other source. So that extra $7,000 in our example can now be used to spread across 
you know, any other active income that you have. That is, that is amazing. Wow. You know, I never, I never really thought about it in that, in that regard. Um, and it just, it, it blows my mind, you know, the capabilities, not only just in terms of taxes, but the potential of real estate to make right. us, to make a lot of money. Right. But also to keep your money in your pocket through tax exactly. methods. And, and it's just, it's amazing to me. And I, and I love that you're able to kind of put out this great knowledge about, um, you know, the tax side of multifamily and what it kind of really means. Because, you know, when people talk about 12, you know, 10, 12, 14% cash on cash returns, right? A lot of people don't talk about the tax side of that when you're getting maybe an additional 30, 40% on, on your return within the first year, right? Depending on mm -hmm. an individual. So it's a, it's a I, I feel like it is a often misunderstood and not talked about kind of benefit to right. the real estate in general, right? But more so with multifamily. So that that's great. So I have, I have one more question I want to ask you about the cost segregation analysis side before I, I kind of take it back to another another kind of train of thought here. So, sure. um, you know, in in professional services, you know, there's, there's tons of people who do legal side, tax side, mm -hmm. you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. So as an individual coming in and evaluating different cost segregation analysis companies, how, how do you personally um, look to qualify a company and what makes you guys different? 100%. So like any type of uh, professional service or legal service, like you, like you said, you're going to want to look at, you know, probably more than anything, their experience, you know, and their reputation in the industry. Um, you're going to want to look at, you know, how long have they been around for? What are they doing? You know, how much work do they actually do? Probably if you hit some of those, you know, things and they're big enough, you can probably know other people that, you know, you run the same circles that may have, you know, may have opinions, may have used them. So obviously personal referrals or recommendations or understanding, you know, from this, from someone that you know and trust is obviously very valuable. Uh, but the other things you want to look at specifically with cost is that number one, they're doing what's called an engineer based study, which is the highest, the, you know, it's called the quality cost study, engineer based which means the engineer actually goes to the physical property, walks it and, and does a detailed report based on that. And not just, you know, throwing numbers, you know, throwing darts at a, you know, at the wall and trying to figure out, you know, what numbers are, which believe it or not, there are some accountants that just do that. They don't take that an engineering approach. Mm -hmm. And it's a little more risky because if one were ever to get audited, it would definitely not stand up. But there are some accountants that just feel like it may not, you know, it's not too big of a risk. The other thing you're going to want to look at is exactly that. What is the audit um, defense policy? Meaning, will this stand up in an audit? And the simple answer to that is if they're following the guidelines put out by the IRS. Okay, the IRS invented this concept. You know, they came up with all of the, you know, the regulations for it and something called the Cost Segregation Audit Techniques Guide. It's on the IRS website. You can check it out. Hmm. And if you're following all the rules there, you have nothing to worry about. Okay. If producing a report that is totally aligned with that, you're good to go. The only thing you would be worried about is if you are not doing that, then that's, that's something that you would, uh, you'd want to know up front. And, and then of course, you know, you want to check with, like we mentioned before, the fee structure, as long as they're not taking it, you know, based on a percentage of your actual, you know, tax savings, which I know there are some people, some firms out there that are doing it that way, which, again, to me is uh, a little mind blowing. Interesting. Okay. 
Good to know. So experience, level of knowledge, um, how they assess the causation analysis, the study type, right? Audit sure. defense. That's the audit defense. That's a that's a good one that I, that I don't I don't necessarily I didn't necessarily think about um, is mm -hmm. how are they if something worst case scenario something happens how are you going to be protected right and exactly then their, fee, their fee structures and well, I would so. I would add one one more important thing is that they have you know the dual in house um, you know accountants and engineers in house they're not outsourcing any of the work I know there are you know plenty of firms out there that claim to to do the work and then end up outsourcing their uh you know the work to to someone else to do and they just kind of white label it or whatever under their name so you know when you're doing it like that it it definitely gets a little more complicated you're you know who you're putting your trust in is it this firm or is it you know their reputation or is it just they're just sending it you know farming it out to someone else anyways so that's another important uh thing to note perfect yeah yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. Like, I'd rather have it all under one roof, kind of like a, a package deal. So that makes sense. Huh? All right, I kind of want to switch gears here a little bit before we get into the snapshot round, because I sure. the reason that I found you in the first place, right, is your is your ability to market, right, in, in your brand, <laughs> right? So, and, and it's, it's amazing, right? And that's what I kind of want to dig on. Like, people know you as a cost segregation analysis guy. Like, um, you right. you have built it as your brand. So do you have any kind of tips or tricks for how to um, use social media to your advantage for marketing, right? And, and the reason I bring that up is because a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people I see on LinkedIn just like shoot me, will shoot me a connect and then will start pitching me right away, right, in their messages when I have never even talked to this person before, right? But we kind of, we, we introduce each other like in a different, in a different way. It's more like a conversation mm -hmm. and kind of right. building that relationship rather than, hey, this is what I can offer you right away. You want to talk, let's set up a time. And I'm like, sure. I don't want to hear that at all. Like, you're the fifth lender today who's talked to me <laughs> about their services, right? So, you know, so, sorry, I'll let you talk. So what tips or tricks you have for, for marketing yourself, um, you know, whether it, that's a, a professional service or a real estate investor? Mm -hmm. Sure. The, you know, LinkedIn today is, and social media in general, but I'd say LinkedIn because it's just a platform that I use very often, you know, on a daily basis, pretty, pretty active out there engaging and putting out content, helping other people. It's funny because I don't really have that same experience as you. Um, and I think there's one, there's one ingredient that I would say would help solve that from your perspective, Anthony, not necessarily from the, you know, from the people listening, how to do better, but from your perspective, you don't have to accept every connection of every single person that, you know, sends you a request. And I certainly don't. I have, mm. you know, hundreds of outstanding requests that I just, I don't connect. I'll still ignore it because if you ignore it, they can reconnect the next day, but I'll just keep it on there <laughs> so that, because I don't want necessarily to connect with people that I don't see potential value out of that. Now, if someone goes ahead and sends, you know, a pitch in the first message, to me, I see that as, you know, kind of, um, you know, I, I feel bad for the guy, you know, it just, mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't respond to that, you know, so I don't know what, what they're thinking that people do maybe, you know, and they're using social media like they would any other type of cold outreach, which is, it defeats the purpose because the whole point of social media is really to build your brand, to get to know other people. It's networking. Okay. You don't go to a networking event and go up to people and be, you know, give them their card and they say, Hey, what's your name? And you just go and you're like, I do this, you know, and spend like two minutes just telling them what you do 
and then like walk away. You wouldn't do that in person. So why would you think it would be any different on social media? And I like to call that being socially awkward media, right? <laughs> I like that. Okay. And, and that's because it happens all the time. Now, how do you actually do it right? And what's the proper way to go about doing it is exactly like you said, building a brand. How do you build a brand? Okay. How do you know when you and what is brand awareness in the first place? When you think, you said, when you think of cost segregation, you think of Yona Weiss. Okay. And when, and for people, why? Because I've associated that I put out content. I'm constantly out there, right. Associating that with my name. Just like when you think of, you know, fast food, right. There's immediately something comes in your head. I don't care if it's McDonald's or it's Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, it's something. Why? Because you have that brand awareness that even if you've never been there, okay, and I don't eat fast food because I keep a kosher, you know, diet and I don't eat at uh, restaurants that aren't kosher. But when I think fast food, I think of McDonald's. I've never been there, right? But the point is, you don't have to have used cost segregation to know that Yona Weiss is the guy, cost segregation. Same thing. If you're putting out content, if you are just putting yourself out there in a positive way, okay, adding value. And that's the key. Constantly trying to add value to other people, helping other people, giving to other people 10 times more than you would ever expect to receive in return. That's how you're going to. And for me personally, that's how I do it. Okay. So that's how I know it works because people associate, this is a good person. This is a positive, you know, kind of influence. This is someone who goes out to help other people. He's helped me, you know, and then you'll associate, you know, what they do with who they are. Absolutely. I, I, man, I couldn't say that better myself. I just, the, the aspect of adding value is intrinsically selfless, I feel. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of falter is that they view this as, okay, I need to do this, this, and this, this type of strategy, provide this type of content, and it's going to get me these many leads. Right. And they're, and right. they're kind of very um, clinical about the process rather than, okay, right. you know, I see this as a general topic that a lot of people ask about, or this is a topic that may need some clarification or, you know, and, and, and more of assessing the kind of the, what you can do as an individual to add value rather than mm -hmm. what you can do as an individual to provide your services. And I think that's a, right. that's a distinct difference is adding value versus providing services. You know, right. one, one is inherently very sales, many pitchy, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that. And one is, is really kind of, uh, like I said, selfless in its, in its nature. That's what I, it's, it's perfect. I love that. Love it. Um, well, hey, Yona, we're running out of time here. So I want to get into the snapshot round if you're ready. Let's do it. All right, perfect. All ahead, blank cavitate. Snapshot, tube tube. All right, first question. Yona, what is your number one failure in real estate? Uh, I think I'll go back to the fix and flips. That, that we did a bunch of years ago. And that mm -hmm. was, you know, just, I think for a lot of people, fix and flips are a learning experience. <laughs> Most Fair people enough. can't actually do it successfully. Um, and yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that because, you know, in the end of the day, it's a, it's a learning experience and it's, a, it's something that, you know, you're going to fail no matter what, okay? When you're trying out something new that you've never done before. So that was for me, something I never did before and, and just failed at it. Okay, fair enough. All right, what is the uh, number one thing that has contributed to your success? I think like we talked about before, giving, right? Being selfless. That's actually contributed to success. Well, I, you know, I would even take a step back 
and people define success in different ways. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't define success, uh, you know, monetarily whatsoever, you know, having money doesn't make you successful. Um, Although, you know, in, in our you know, Western kind of culture and society, it's, it's definitely aligned with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a misnomer. To me, success is, you know, how you can help other people, how you can, you know, provide value, how you can leave a legacy. And so the more I can help other people, that's how I define my success. You know, if people are grateful for what I do for them, to me, that's, that's being successful. Perfect. All right. What is one nugget of investing knowledge you want to give us? Investing knowledge that I want to give you is do your due diligence. Okay. And I can't repeat that enough. Do your due diligence and do it over and over and over again. And it doesn't mean do your doing due diligence is not linear. Okay. It doesn't mean like you just look at the numbers and you look at the things you have to look outside. You have to go to outside sources. You have to confirm things from third parties, from other sources. Okay. If you get information from one source, you know, don't take it as face value. You got to dig deeper. All right. And last question, Yana, what is your dream? My dream is that one day, no, I, I think we'll, uh, you know, my dream is really to, to provide, you know, really provide for my, for my kids, you know, and, and that's really what, what I'm doing all this for. And I think a lot of them do, do whatever they do for. So my, you know, my dream is that they will be, you know, happy and kind of aligned with the same values that I, you know, live by. And I think I'll have lived a happy life if that, uh, if that comes to fruition. Yeah, that's all we can ask for in life, you know, to, to try and live a happy life and, and make our families, you know, generally happy as well. So, and the wife, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> Of course, of course. <laughs> well, Yana, I appreciate you coming on here today. I have, I, I have definitely learned a lot and I got to kind of, I'm, I'm going to come back and listen to this again so I can keep adding to my notes here. But I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about, you know, cost segregation analysis and the marketing side of, of what you do. Cause I think both of those topics are, are really important, especially as a, a new apartment building investor or one maybe who's even experienced. Right. Um, sure. So if people want to reach out to you to learn more about, you know, what you do over at Madison, you personally, how can they do that? Check me out on LinkedIn. Definitely the best place to find me. I'm there every day, except for Saturday. Um, and, uh, you know, you can check me out. Send me an email if you'd like to get a free analysis for any of your properties. Weiss at madisonspecs.com. Uh, pretty simple. And, uh, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you, you know, reaching out, Anthony, and taking the time for me today uh, and spending this week and provide a little value for your listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Yona, I uh, hope you have an awesome day. And uh, yeah, I hope that we can catch up in the future some more. Absolutely. Definitely. All right. Take care. Thank you. One more thing before you go. I want to be real for a second. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It goes a long way to promoting the show and continuing to bring you great content from Stella Guests. I read every rating and it helps me develop the best practices and give you the best possible version of me and the show. If you have any comments, recommend topics, or guests, you can reach out to me at anthony at pintocapitalinvestments.com, and we can connect. That's all I have, folks. Catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate Show.